Welcome to On Texas Football. I'm Bobby Burton. Joining me this morning is Paul Wadlington for our Saturday conversation. How you doing, Paul? I'm doing well. Enjoying lovely New Mexico. And <laughs> You're uh, on I'm vacation today, even even joining us from there. So I appreciate it, man. Hey, my pleasure. I can't miss this, man. I got we got we got dozens of fans. We got to please, Bobby. <laughs> all all twelve of them. That's hey, right. uh, questions for you this week. I, you know, you and I talk every week, and I wanted to, I like doing some big picture stuff with you, and, and I think I want to do that again today, if you don't mind. A um, couple of topics. First of all, on Thursday, um, SEC Commissioner Greg Sankey came out and said they were going to go to an eight-game uh, schedule in the SEC for year one when Texas and OU join in 2024, and then put all other aspects of the scheduling on hold and wait and see what they're going to do in 2025, because they initially were thinking 2025. Uh, so that's number one. Number two, Paul, uh, for you, uh, I want to go over maybe a, a lay of the land of what we think the national powers and national championship contenders are going to be this year, and then put Texas in that context. Uh, you know, where does Texas really fit among the Ohio States, Michigan's, Georgia's, uh, USC's, et cetera, of the world. Let's let's start with this nine versus eight game schedule. Sankey said they went with an eight game schedule, which is what the um, SEC has always had, right? They've always had an eight game schedule and that gets a lot of their guys qualified. That, that means four non-conference games. So you only have to win two conference games to get into a bowl, right? So that's going to carry over. You think that's good for Texas? in this first uh, year in the big uh, in the SEC in 2024? I mean, I'd ultimately prefer the nine-game schedule. Um, is it as a way of maybe tech easing Texas in, I guess, particularly if you look at the non-con that we have, it's going to be ambitious, to put it mildly. Uh, the other SEC schools do not share our ambitions uh, in terms of scheduling. They like to work in their Waffords and, and you know, Drakes and Austin P and teams like that. So they can get to bowl eligibility. Yeah, it's really, I think the conflict is is the middle of the SEC and the lower tiers of the SEC needing those wins for job preservation, for the sense that their fans, you know, that the program's progressing. You know, it, as you said, there's a mental thing for SEC schools where they can say, yeah, we, we're a six and six football team in the SEC. And then they leave out the part that they were two and six in conference play. Uh a&M, I think, was one of the schools that wanted the eight games, as you could tell by their scheduling. And then at Bama, I think, with Nick Saban, wanted the eight games only because I think the SEC wanted to make their permanent rivals at nine, LSU, Tennessee, and uh, Auburn. And so I think Saban thought, well, you know, that's not great. So if it's only going to be one year, uh, that makes sense. And in fact, maybe that one year tells us that Nick Saban's only coaching one more year. They're going to revert to nine in 2025. <laughs> so, uh, I, I look, I don't think it's a huge deal either way for Texas. I mean, you just play the schedule you're given. Uh, but ultimately, I think Texas fans would probably, on, on the whole, prefer to play the nine-game schedule and, and just play more SEC teams, get more different uh, fun venues. No one will have a more ambitious schedule if they go to nine games. You use the word ambitious with teams like teams like uh, Michigan and Ohio State coming up on the non-conference for Texas over the next couple of years. I, I feel like Texas, and I think I know for a fact that Texas is in favor of the nine-game schedule long-term. Yep. 
uh, because it certainly helps ticket sales. Uh, it certainly helps profile television and raise your profile. The question I have is, is that smart or is that, you know, biting off more than you can chew? Um, there are, I feel like Texas really got ambitious with their non-conference schedule about 20, 25 years ago when Texas was at, was at its height and they scheduled, you know, anybody, anytime, anywhere. And frankly, that come, came back to bite them a little bit in getting their, their feet under them early in the season. Like so many of these SEC schools tend to do, they try to uh, get some uh, powder puff teams in there, right? And get going before they really enter uh, conference play. So I, I'm a little iffy on it. I'm not gung-ho nine games versus eight games. Uh, as long as you still play your rivals every year, I think it's more important for Texas to play OU and A&M, uh, possibly Arkansas as a third uh, uh, standing rival than it is for them to play nine conference games. Yeah, that's a fair point. Um, if we had to ditch out Arkansas, because th that would be the team we'd throw out of the three, uh, they'll, they'll be kicking and screaming about that. But because that's a premier ticket sale game for them, right? Uh, it's a it's a little it's a little jam and jelly jihad that they can have up there in Arkansas for when Texas comes to town. But I, I think that's probably who'd get thrown out. I, I think I understand where you're coming from. I think the other thing SEC teams do that's an interesting scheduling quirk is they'll have those three patsies early, and then they save one patsy till like the 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 penultimate game of the season or they're, they're right before their big rivalry game at the end of the year they'll have that little almost a bye right uh where they'll play a patsy and you know even try to play some younger guys and see what they've got at the end of the season so yeah you know i ultimately if texas goes that route uh down the road i don't know um i, I will say with, with college football playoff expansion happening commensurately to this change if you did have the nine game you'll have multiple two-loss SEC schools qualifying for the college football playoff. So, you know, if, if you had the old college football playoff or even this year's system, right, you're very hesitant to do that nine-game system along with an at Ohio State. I mean, that's brutal. But theoretically, you can go 10-2 and two with that schedule in 2025, and you're going to the playoffs. In fact, you'll be seated fairly highly, uh, you know, with a, a really ambitious – strength of schedule and two losses. So I do think that helps and, and you get a more of a professionalization of college football. And ultimately, as with NIL, the fans got to decide what they can, they can handle uh, the college football that we used to know it's gone. Yeah. You, you and I are, are very, uh, you know, I think we're both pragmatic, but also fans of the game. Yes. Right. I, I just like to see good games. Yeah. Yeah. And so, the, the reality of it is, is that we want Texas to do well, probably, and we want to see what it looks like for college football as a whole simultaneously. And what's the best mix? Yep. You mentioned the SEC. The Big Ten, which we need to talk about, has USC and UCLA coming over, right? Yep. And that's going to happen sooner rather than later. And my, my take on this, and I want to see what you think, and let's let's now segue into the bigger discussion of, you know, the national title race, so to speak, and where Texas fits into that. My perspective is adding USC to the Big Ten, th there's Penn State, there's Ohio State, and of course, Michigan that lost in the semifinals. Ohio State and Michigan both lost in the semifinals last year, yep. right? Mm -hmm. I mean, 
you add the SEC to the Big Ten, and that's pretty much, you know, 95% or 90% of your elite teams in college football right now. You agree? That's how it feels, doesn't it? I mean, we're going to obviously have, a, you know, a little breakout of Florida State potentially this year. I mean, that opener with LSU is going to be determinative. Man, talk about losing your margin for error if you lose that opening um, game against, you know, Florida State or LSU. You're marked for the rest of the season. You got to go undefeated, right? You can't slip up. Um, and then Clemson, you know, we're we've already buried them because they had a you know disappointing year last year. Um, you know, they they could they come back, but yeah, I mean, you pretty much named the college football universe. It's going to be the Big Ten and the SEC, and everyone else is sort of a, an also ran. Um, it'll be very interesting to see how that that pans out. Uh, but I'm curious, Bobby, do you think? Um, when you kind of look at the the main contenders, who do you think are the primary folks that are going to be in the playoff? Well, so I, I, I really believe that Georgia is going to take a small step back, but not much. Yeah, uh, They've just recruited so well. They've got so much coming back. They added two receivers in the portal that not many people have given them credit for. Dominique Lockett uh, yep. and Rara Thomas. They have Brock Bowers, who I think is a tremendous tight end. You know they have good running backs. Carson Beck has looked really good for them, from what I've um, been told in spring ball. And he's more talented than Stetson Bennett, without question. Yeah. Uh, the question then is, can they have that defense that they had that has lost, I what, 10 NFL draft picks over two years? Yeah. Yeah, they can because he's replenished them with those guys. And, you know, I, I go back. Uh, there's a couple players on that roster this, that that just kind of make me go terrific player. Brock Bowers is one of them, right? That tight end. The other one is Malachi Starks, who is a safety for them. Who the best way I can communicate this to a Texas fan would be, he is their Kelvin Banks of a of a true freshman. He had that big of an impact for that team last year, playing safety as a true freshman, first game out of the gate as Kelvin Banks did for Texas. So they've got dudes. Um, the question is whether or not they'll they'll execute in crunch time as well as Stetson Bennett did, right? Uh, but Georgia would be one. I really like Michigan and what they've come in, what they've got coming back. They've added to the offensive line through a couple of uh, transfers that were starters elsewhere. Uh, they've added um, in, in the secondary. They've got a young uh, corner named Will Johnson, who I think – can really give a team like Ohio State that likes to isolate guys like Marvin Harrison Jr. problems. I like them. And then after that, I don't – after Georgia and Michigan, I don't see a team that I go, oh, wow. I don't like LSU, for example, because I'm not in love uh, with the quarterback. Mm -hmm. I think he's a good quarterback. I don't think he's a get-me-to-the-national-championship quarterback. And Brian Kelly – the one thing about Brian Kelly, he needs that kind of quarterback to overcome. Uh, USC has the quarterback, but do they have everything else? I think they've. I think transfers account for six or, or five of their front six right now on defense. I mean, that's wild. I mean, first year transfers, five of their front six on defense. Um, so I look at that, and then you throw out teams like Washington, Clemson. I think is due for a rebound with Kate Klubnik um, as the quarterback. I really think uh, that was a big piece of their problem. The quarterback just stifled their game last year. 
uh, mm-hmm. and throughout the last three or four years, to be honest. Uh, FSU with Jordan Travis. I, I like him a lot. I like Mike Norvell as a coach. The question I have is, do they have the dudes on defense? Are they going to have to outscore everybody? And frankly, that's where I put Texas at yep. some level. I think Texas has a better defense, but Texas doesn't have enough dudes on defense yet, like maybe some other teams will. Uh, so it, it's going to be interesting. You had some teams as well. I'd, I'd love to hear how you see the primary guys, right? And then the secondary dark horses. Dark horse isn't the right word, but there's the favorites. Then there's the there's the there's the two to one favorites, and then there's the you know ten to one favorites, right? So yeah. how do you see it? So it's interesting, you know you you mentioned in the the Big Ten liking Michigan probably the most, and you sort of mentioned Penn State, um, Ohio State didn't get mentioned because, and it seems like you you almost have to mention them in an obligatory fashion every year, right? And I. I what do you think of Kyle McCord is going to be the new quarterback? Is, is Ohio State's quarterbacking and offense just plug and play at this point because of the incredible uh, ecosystem that they operate in with those receivers and the offensive line and the system? Yes and no. Okay. And I would say for, for two reasons. One is the quarterbacks are really good. Yes. So it's not like he's throwing, uh, you know, it's not like he's throwing uh, – I don't know, Zach Calzada out there as the quarterback. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? He's throwing out it's NFL cool. players. <laughs> yeah. Right? Right. And so I, I say that um, in a way that, that means that there's a level there that he has to put into the ecosystem, not unlike what Clemson needed. Right? I mean, he had it – Dabo Sweeney had it on a roll until G, DJ Ungangalele became the quarterback – and then it just fell off the, the wheels uh, because they couldn't move the football con- consistently. I, I feel like as long as he has that against lesser teams and continues to recruit well up front like he has on both the defensive and offensive lines, he's got Travion Henderson coming back at running back. He's got uh, Marvin Harrison Jr. and Julian Fleming. And uh, I think his name is Akama. I, I can't remember his first name. But the, it is an ecosystem. It most definitely is, and it's plug and play, but it's plug with elite players. So speaking of that, that's the other segue to the other team you didn't mention. That's Alabama, right? I mean, freaking six-time national champion. Um, I understand why they weren't top of mind for you. I think their weaknesses are apparent. I mean, they've got question marks at quarterback. Um, For what it's worth, I I will say I think – that they lost quite a few dudes to the NFL. They, they always do. Um, I think they're going to reload pretty well. I think they're going to have, uh, you know, I have heard that they may let it go on defense a little bit more um, in terms of pass rush. Um, Nick Saban, traditionally, you, you play outside backer for Saban. You have to play the run. You've got to play screen. you got to cover. You're not just going to pin your ears back and, and just get after it. They might do that with Dallas Turner and Chris Braswell this year. And if they do that, that could add an interesting element to that defense in terms of just being more disruptive uh, or maybe they get more susceptible to the screen game. I don't know, but um, I, I, is it, is Alabama not front of mind for you purely because of quarterback or do you just think that program globally is taking a little dip uh, maybe before they ascend to back again? They're in the same conference as Georgia for me. Yeah. 
that that's really what it comes down to. And that's why it's one of the reasons why I kind of discount LSU a little bit as well. Um, but I will say this, I expect, I, I expect Alabama's defense to be very strong this coming year. I, I love their secondary. Um, I really love their, their two interior guys on defense, Jaheim Otis uh, and uh, Timmy Smith. And then you have Dallas Turner, who, if he does pin his ears back, I'm not sure he's not a better pass rusher than Will Anderson, who top five pick, right? Um, and so I like Alabama's defense, and that is a big early test for Texas. Uh, offense strength versus defense strength. We're going to see what Quinn Ewers has done in a year. Um, the thing, other thing about Alabama that that is uh, interesting, they're coming in with two new coordinators, right? Mm-hmm. And so how do those guys adapt on the run in the SEC? Uh, fair question. I mean, I, particularly on offense, not so much on defense. Uh, but on offense, what are they going to do, right, to um, try to, to try to push? They have a right side of the line, Paul, that is uh, fantastic. Uh, J.C. Latham and uh, Tyler Booker are both first-round NFL picks. Yep. Okay? That's their right guard and right tackle. And if Jalen Milrow or Tyler Buckner is the quarterback, they're going to run power. And – so Texas early is going to have to deal with that. Uh, but no Alabama, and, and I, I could be dead wrong because, they I mean, Saban's got a secondary this year, and when he has that, he usually uh, stymies some people overall. What, where are you at on Alabama? I'm right with you. I, I think you're going to see an older school Alabama in the sense that they're not going to have this elite talent at wide receiver and a, a great quarterback flinging it around uh, like the Steve Sarkeesian OC guys i think they're gonna have i'm not gonna say they're gonna be uh you know 2009 bama uh they're not gonna be that but i think they're gonna hand the ball off and i think they're gonna run the quarterback Um, when you've got two quarterbacks that are maybe not great they're not the answer but both of them are physical both of them can run um then run the quarterback because you don't care if one of them gets injured you know not to be too stark about it um i will say this about lsu though bobby I'll, i'll give the little argument for the tigers I, I can understand your hesitancy with Jaden Daniels. Uh, he's not a quarterback. He, he doesn't make a lot of mistakes, but he's also not creating a bunch of big passing plays down the field. And obviously he's a threat with his mobility. Um, he's pretty steady in a lot of regards, right? He's, he's going to create a big floor for you. But I would say the thing about Jaden Daniels that I like is that apparently, and maybe this is just spring season hype, uh, he was throwing the deep ball better. And apparently he had, a, as you see my son go out on the deck and hang out, uh, he uh, apparently was a little reluctant to throw the deep ball last year. He's a little bit banged up and he was having balls hang on him. Apparently that got cleaned up. We'll see if that's just spring optimism. But I will say the other thing that could be is if Daniels doesn't get it done, they've got a guy in Garrett Nussmeyer that the, the staff at LSU is quite high on. So I think LSU could have some secret upside if their quarterback position plays better because I love their wide receivers. I love their front seven. Talk about a potential defense. They, they have a potential killer front. Uh, they just need to get – they need to grow up a quarterback, I think, or, or elevate a quarterback. And then I think their secondary is a little bit of a question mark for them. Um, if, but If Ovio Gufu is starting, Paul. Hey. I, they can't be – I mean, not, not – and I – appreciate what he did for the Longhorns. There's 
Uh, he stepped up when it, at a time when it, who was behind him was no one at that point, really. Yep. Um, uh, but if he is starting for their defense, they can't be that good. So like, he's not an NFL player. So I think like us, LSU has a glaring issue at one edge position. But then they've got elite linebackers, right? They've got the transfer from Morgan State, Spates. They, of course, return Harold Perkins. They've got a couple of interior defensive linemen, one of whom was injured last year, a big five-star. Um, God, I'm blanking on his name. Um, dang it. Uh, but they've got some dudes. And I think Ovi was just a piece. I think their goal is to integrate a younger guy through the course of the year, but they're going to start off with Ovi as sort of the veteran. Brian Kelly's familiar with him. But it is an example, Bobby, of how uh, different fan bases view the transfer portal, right? And and it's funny because when that transfer happened, LSU boards were like, all right, this is great. We got this starter from Texas. They had a good defense last year. This is great. This improves us. And Texas fans are kind of like, mm, you know, <laughs> we're not concerned that he left. Uh, but it just goes to show kind of how you, your perception of the portal and different players are. You, you do a lot of sort of dream and wish casting on it rather than knowing a lot about the players specifically. So, you know, I've always wondered, you know, were Wake fans deeply upset that Gavin Holmes left or were they sort of like, eh? Uh, I have a feeling that they actually were upset because they, I think they had him up identified as a big upside guy. But, you know, on the transfer portal, you know, the receiving fan base often has a higher level of opinion of the player coming in than the losing fan base. So yeah, well, it, it, that's, that's natural too. That's a yeah. natural bias. Hey, I, uh, before uh, I want to go to a couple more teams and then before I get your final picks of the final four, so to go. speak, I want you to go ahead and tell folks about our sponsor, if you don't mind. Absolutely. Uh, Gabe Winslow should not just be in your final four. He should be your choice. He's your national champion. <laughs> Give him a call. You could reach him at 832-557-1095. Gabe is outstanding at what he does. 20 years in the mortgage industry. He's got a law degree. He was an honors grad from the University of Texas. Really sharp guy. He loves to solve complex problems. But also, I don't think he'll mind if you just have a straightforward mortgage you want to get done and uh, you've got perfect credit and you want to buy your dream house. Give him a call. He'll help make it happen. Uh, we appreciate your support, Gabe. Absolutely. Thank you very much, Gabe. Uh, that's mortgagesbygabe.com. Hey, Paul, a couple other things. You know, there's some real like non-traditional contenders uh washington yes is a potential with michael Penix at quarterback in that offense uh they do not look like they have the dudes on defense though long term is that why they're they, they should be probably the the favorite in the pack 12 i guess or pack whatever you want to call it now so i think usc is the favorite just because of caleb williams and the guy just wins games because he's going to freaking run around for seven seconds and then fling it across the field, across his body and on a 60 yard dart and hit a, a guy downfield. And then you meld him with Lincoln Riley and, and they're going to find opportunities to go score. Right. And the question is, can USC keep you from outscoring them? And, you know, with Utah, the answer was no, they, they couldn't um, or Tulane for that matter. Um, I like Washington. We, we did get to see him. You identified the problem with the Huskies. They're going to put up points, and they're going to dominate some teams. If you don't, if you can't handle their pace and those receivers and, and the structure of that offense, you're in trouble from the first quarter on. Defensively, they're just not world beaters. And so is that a team that could qualify for the playoff? A hundred percent. We've seen that team make it into the college football playoff multiple times. 
maybe in the form of an OU team, right? Uh, or even sort of TCU last year, although I think their defense was maybe a little better. Um, I, I think they can make it. I just don't think they, they're going to advance. I don't think they're going to go anywhere in that playoff if they did win the pack. Um, the pack at the top is surprisingly competitive. I mean, I, I know it's perceived as a weaker conference, but until USC leaves, you've got Oregon, you've got Washington, you've got USC. Uh, that's going to be an interesting race. Um, I, I do like them. Uh, Oregon could be interesting. I guess we'll learn something about them when they play Tech uh, in Lubbock. But I think, I don't know if Bo Nix is going to be able to elevate them quite as much uh, as as Penix. He reminds me of Jaden Daniels. Very, yeah. a lot of two steps forward, one step back. Uh, and when you do that as a quarterback, I worry about the long-term uh, value of the team. What about Texas? Uh, and and I talk about Texas A&M a little bit too, uh, as well, if you don't mind, because both uh, Texas is a little bit different um, because they have more guys coming back. They have some depth. Texas A&M, I, I tell you what, they look good against LSU. And that may be one of the reasons why I'm negative on LSU. I don't think A&M is necessarily going to be in the college football playoff conversation, but Texas within this conversation, are they the dark horse for the big 12? You think to possibly make it, especially if they win at Alabama? Yeah, I mean, we're, I'm certainly Texas is my favorite for the big 12. And if you win the big 12 and you, you win that game at Bama or you go undefeated in the big 12, you're going to the college football playoff. And I know that sounds crazy, um, but you have to look at each year individually each, each year. And I know Texas is underachieved, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, what does 2015 Charlie Strong have to do with this current team? Nothing. It's just you have to take each year as it comes and each squad as it comes. If Texas does what it's supposed to do and, and doesn't slip up, right? If, if you, you could lose to Bama on the road, but if you don't slip up in the Big 12 and you win the Big 12 Conference, you're going to the playoff. That, that's happening. Uh, if you beat Alabama – and then you, you, you're allowed to have a slip up in one conference game and you're still going to the playoff. So I think Texas is a, has a good shot at going to the playoff. I, I, you know, as, as I wouldn't say as good as anyone, but if you're making the list of odds, I'd put us at, you know, the sixth or seventh most likely team to get it done. Maybe that, maybe I'm just being too optimistic. Yeah. Aggies just no chance this year. Right. I just, but I think they've got such a good front on defense yeah. that they could surprise some people. Uh, yeah. And I think I really like Connor Wegman if he stays healthy. Uh, I think so. they're, I think they're starting 22 is going to be good. And I think it's a question of when you catch them, but I, there's something going on there. That's just a little deeper than the squad and the team and lining up the depth chart. I mean, Jimbo Fisher's just kind of a weird dude. The Bobby Petrino hire is that whole thing played out in a weird way. Um, is Jimbo really going to give up the reins in that offense and, and not try to influence or put his color on it? Um, but I think you, the name that you, you gave is the key to their season. It's Connor Wegman. Um, I, I just think that if he's a dude, they're, they're legitimately a contender. Now, they are going to play in the SEC West, which is much harder than the East. Again, uh, Georgia, you know, secret of Georgia is – for an SEC team, their schedule is pretty favorable. It looks pretty good for them. Um, Aggies aren't getting that favor, and they're going to end the season at LSU in Tiger Stadium. 
And so I think, um, you know, that game might have some implications to it. But if you if you just tell me straight up right now, who do you want in that game? I'll take LSU at home. Yeah, I, I probably would as well, for sure. Uh, I, I didn't – I just think A&M has some, some, some uh, arrows in the quiver yep. this year, particularly on that defensive front. I mean, they could be really, really good. I think they've got two or three guys that are going to be high, high draft picks. Um, all right, let, let's get it – let's narrow it down uh, for you. Give me your final four uh, as of right now if you're really Ooh. talking about it. All right, I wasn't ready to do this. Let's see. Um, we're going to have Michigan come out of the Big Ten. Speaking of getting a home game, they, they've got uh, – they're going to host Ohio State. They've won two games in a, a row – and I don't think they're winning necessarily because they're the superior team. I think that there's something going on at Ohio State. Um, they're very talented, but in terms of toughness, I think Michigan is sort of taking those games on the front and, and is asserting their will. Uh, so I'll take Michigan. I will take, in defiance of Mr. Burton, I'm going to take LSU to emerge from the SEC. I can't go chalk. I can't take Georgia like a coward. Um <laughs> But I will also take Georgia because that's who LSU is going to beat in that title game and, and somehow uh, slip in. And then um, who's my fourth team going to be? Well, it's, it's a Texas podcast. <laughs> go Longhorns. Let's do this, man. You go with my the son, horns. My son off camera is cheering right now. <laughs> uh, I think that's interesting. I would say the only thing I'm not – sure about on Michigan is J.J. McCarthy at quarterback. He's got all the tools. Yeah. But if they get down, I don't necessarily know that they have the passing game to bring them back because of Harbaugh. He plays it a little too close to the vest for me. Um, but I will go Michigan over Ohio State. I think the toughness factor is very – is legitimate. Uh, Penn State, a little bit of a wild card there. I'm going to go – I'm going to go uh, Michigan, uh, Southern Cal – Georgia, and my fourth one is going to be either Florida State or Clemson. I just think one of those two teams uh, is going to have that year this year and and make a make a real difference. So, hey, hey, before I let you finish, because I do want to get your last thought, Paul. Um, The thing that also was interesting down in Destin that came out besides the eight game schedule um, for year one, there will be no segments. There will be no divisions. No pause. So there's not going to be an East and West in 2024. There will be in 2023, like you mentioned, with Georgia and LSU, you think. But there will be no East-West in 2024. It's just going to be the top two teams, top two ranked teams meeting up in uh, Atlanta for the SEC championship. Yeah, that's how the PAC does it. Um, And if you want to follow elite football, you want to do it the way the PAC-12 does it. (laughs) Hey, I... We didn't even mention Utah has an has a quarterback coming back. Always Cam Rising's knee. Apparently, he's not going to be ready for the early season slate. So that's a big issue for Utah. So I, I think that takes them out of contention. Gotcha. Paul, do you have anything else you want to add before we get going here? Uh nothing too exciting other than we have seen um Harbaugh late level up his quarterbacks when he fully trusts them. So Maybe, you know, part of my pick for Michigan to the playoff is the ascension of their quarterback and, and McCarthy becoming the dude. He, he's talented. I mean, don't get me wrong. I just wonder if he'll actually let him have. Paul, great Saturday conversation, dude, as always. Always have uh, have fun with you. Have fun on your vacation with your kiddo uh, as well. 
Uh, for Paul Wallington, I'm Bobby Burton. Thank you also to our sponsor, Gabe Winslow. This has been Saturday Conversation on Texas Football.